welcome to episode 11 of the Startcast. Um, Glenn is unfortunately still not well, so he's not with us. Um, but yeah, Chris, you're, you're joining me today um, to talk about the game on Tuesday. How are you doing? Not bad, thank you, Ollie. Thanks for having me back. Cool, brilliant to have you on. So yeah, it's Wednesday. No, it's not. It's Thursday. <laughs> We're going to talk about the Wiccan game um, on the Tuesday night, and which we both went to. Both watched it from the West Stand. Um, so yeah, we'll probably just jump jump straight into this game. I think so. Unfortunately, Shrewsbury Town lost again. They lost another game this season, two um, one at home um, to Wickham. Um, all three goals coming in the second half. Um, first half, not a lot to talk about really, was there, Chris? No, it was a combative first half. Uh, but I thought it was you know it was a strange game. I actually didn't mind it. It, it was competitive. Um, it, I think it's what we expected from a Wiccan Wanderers team, wasn't it? They scrap for everything. They do frustrate you at times. They make it difficult. But I suppose the one thing that I was pleased about is that we got to halftime at nil nil, and at that point I was thinking, you know, maybe finally we're going to get that elusive clean sheet because I think this season the majority of goals we've conceded have actually been first half. So having got through that hurdle, I thought we had a chance. Yeah, no, definitely. It's good to get in a half time, not conceding with our recent woes. Um, so um, before we get into into the game in more depth, um, kind of coming into the game, I thought it was just worth a look at the recent history against Wickham. Um, so um, last five games, um, going back to 2014, uh, we drew um, at home 0-0. Um, then away at Wickham, we lost 1-0. And then the following season in 2018, uh, we lost <laughs> against Wickham 3-2 away. And then we had, in, in March 2019, we beat them at home um, 2-1. And then last time we played them was in November 19, um, when we lost 1-0. Roshan Williams got sent off um, for getting into a bit of a fracas with the, with the Beast. Um, so that was a very frustrating game. Um, team lineup in this match, we had Maurice in goal, um, Pennington, Ebanks and Pierre. Um, we had Pen- Bennett and Nurse this time as wing-backs. We had Davis and Lee who came into the side. Wally's number 10. Bowman started again. Ado came into the side. So, were you surprised, Chris, to see um, that lineup? Um, particularly, obviously, we didn't really know where Lee he was going to play, but we assumed central midfield. And were you pleased that Ado started after after his goal on Saturday? I think Ado probably deserved that chance, didn't he? Cosgrove hadn't really impressed us, and I think he probably uh, merited being left out on this occasion. So, no issues with that. Clearly, with Vela injured, there had to be changes in the middle. And I think, you know, I was with you on the podcast last week as well. And we talked about what the possibilities were for that one. And we said that it was likely that, sadly, it would probably be either Bennett or Leahy coming off the flank. And it turned out to be Leahy. I suppose when you move Leahy from left wing back, there's that slight surprise that still poor old Nathaniel Ogbetter can't get a game. And it was instead playing left wing back. Uh, I think you and I mentioned that at half time, and we felt that was probably just a manager wanting to be just that little bit tied to that little bit more physical and uh, a bit more defensive against a strong Wickham side rather than the slightly more loose cannon of Ogbetta. But I still can't help feeling that if Ogbetta can't get in the team when when Leahy's not playing left wing back, then it's hard to see when he actually can. Yeah, it is going to be. I think it's if yeah, if Ogbetta and his, and his agent must be quite frustrated in terms of like a game time he's getting. Um, and yeah, as that goes on, um, it doesn't seem like it's going to change, does it? So um, opposition side, obviously, we, we saw t- a couple of familiar faces. Um, Joe Jacobson playing for Wickham um, and Grimmer um, in the side again. Um, I thought it was interesting that they lined up 3-5-2 um, as well. Um, so Joe Jacobson was playing as a left centre-back, Grimmer playing as the right um, right wing-back, um, and Sam Vokes up front, who who had been fairly high-profile ho- in terms of in terms of rumours that we were going to sign him. Um, just what did you make of Vokes, just, just on, 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 in terms of focusing one of their players? 
physical and strong. What a lot in the air. Probably went down quite easily at times. What a few free kicks for his side. Uh, he certainly seems to have been initiated into the Wickham style of play pretty quickly. Uh, yeah, he was a handful for our defence, wasn't he? Yeah. Another one to mention as well, Ollie. by the way, Sule Kaikai as well. So there were quite a few Shrewsbury links through that Wickham side. Yeah, there was. I don't I, I, I never really count loan players the same because he, was, was he wasn't even on for a season-long loan, was he? I can't remember how long he's yeah, with us. Well, it was a few was, months. It was a six-month loan, but I th- I, yeah. I just, he did score some important goals, didn't he? It feels like yeah. he, I, I think I, I count him because I think possibly we'd have got relegated without him. Yeah, no, he did definitely have a, a big impact. Um, and yeah, he obviously um, Bokes won a lot of duels. He had 26 duels and, and won 15. Um, and just for com- comparison, so Ado had seven duels and Bowman had 21. So at no point in this podcast we're going to try and pretend that you know we both sides weren't playing direct football. Um, I think it's fair to say, Chris, both sides were playing quite similar similar formations and um, similar tactics. Yeah, I think we'll, we might come to this in a bit, but I, watching Shrewsbury, I, I get the feeling that we, we try to play prettier stuff at times, and frankly, we just don't maybe have the players quite capable of doing it. I think I've said to you, I get frustrated sometimes, but we're not capable of stringing a run of passes together. We seem to lose, concede possession very quickly when we try to do that. So I think in the end, we do end up going a bit more direct, a bit more route one, simply because that suits what we've got right now when we're more effective when we do that. And it's yeah, it's not always pretty, but most of our positive play comes from those long balls into the channels, maybe trying to get the wide men to run onto. agree with that. I think we're a bit better when we go direct. That doesn't mean we can't pass the ball around a few times, playing a few one-twos and stuff, which does work, um, create a few opportunities from from getting it into the final third and trying to play. But yeah, we certainly don't play throughout, throughout, throughout the back. Um, so first off, not a lot to talk about really, was there, Chris? Um, there was that um, effort, first effort came from, from Wickham, um, a kind of overhead scoop from Vokes, saved by Morosi. It was a decent effort. Um, and then the first Shrewsbury Town chance, Doe drives down the left. He puts, what I think it's fair to say, a firm cross to Worley and headers over. Um, I thought that was quite a hard chance for Worley, to be fair. Yeah, I watched Worley react to that, and he looked really frustrated, as though he'd missed a glaring opportunity. But like you say, it was one hell of a drilled ball. I mean, it was a good run from Udo. He got into a good position, but I felt he probably put too much on it. He gave Worley a lot to do. Yeah, I'd agree with that. It was a little bit too hard for him. I don't think I wouldn't say that was a Worley miss. It was just an unfortunate. Um, good run, though, from Udo. Um, it was good to see. Um, and then I'd say Shrewsbury kind of came into the game a little bit, kind of midway through the half. Um, a sustained attack from Shrewsbury, really good run from Nurse, a bit of a poor cross. That was a bit of a theme, I thought. Our crossing was quite poor in this game. Ball got recycled, a nice run into space from Bowman, um, and, he, and he crosses for a doe to save um, from Stockton. So not a decent effort, not a bad effort there, um, but wasn't really threatening Stockton. Um, and I think that was really it, really, for the first half in terms of kind of opportunities. Um, a lot of long ball football. Um, and while Wickham probably weren't, Wickham weren't time wasting at this point because it was still nil nil, was quite a bit of diving from them, which was quite frustrating um, to watch. Yeah, they uh, they know what they're doing, don't they? It's interesting. I mean, in many ways, I suppose, they showed us respect because they were quite happy even when the game was nil-nil in the first half to try and kill time. You got the feeling that if they'd walked away from there at nil-nil, they wouldn't have been utterly disappointed with that. They, were, they weren't all out attacking exactly, were they? And yeah. No, I find it a bit strange. Yeah, classic Wickham. They, they play to their strengths. Um, they're really good at it. They get results. They're more successful than Shrewsbury, so you've got to give credit where it's due. But they've got some decent players in that side. Kai Kai, um, Grimmer, Jacobson can obviously play a nice ball. Some pretty decent midfielders. When I thought when they actually tried to play some football, they, they looked quite good. Um, but you're right. 
even just like throw-ins and stuff, they really try to slow the game down. Um, but it's a, it's a tactic and a style that works for them. And yeah, you know, you've got to respect their, their results that they're getting. You know, they certainly start the season a lot better than, than we did. They've definitely got quality, haven't they, Ali? I mean, I think you're seeing the remnants of their season in the Championship and that extra money that they pocketed in the Championship. They didn't splurge it all last year because they've signed players over the summer that historically would have been out of their reach. You know, Sam Vokes, if you'd told Wickham fans two or three years ago they were going to sign Sam Vokes, they wouldn't have believed you because you know, you're talking about a club that for most of their history has been non-league and for most of their period in the Football League has been very much a League Two club. So they've, I mean... Whatever you say about their style of play, what Ainsworth has achieved over the last few years has been remarkable. And that, that promotion two years ago has transformed them as a club to, to the extent that now they're expected to challenge this season in League One. No, and, I, and on, on this showing, I'm sure they will, um, will, they'll get results. Um, not sure if they're going to be good enough to get automatic. I, just, I think Wigan and Sunderland and maybe MK Dons um, are going to be too good. I see um, Rotherham rising up quite quickly. Um, but they'll definitely be up there. Be interested to see if they can keep it going. But yeah, it wouldn't be surprised if they're at the top end in the playoffs uh, when we get to May. Yeah, it's a competitive division, isn't it? I mentioned a few there, and you, you could throw a few more at that. You know, there's some big names in this division. You didn't mention Sheffield Wednesday then, or Ipswich Town, which have had a dreadful start, but they won six 0 on Tuesday. So, you know, th- these these are sides you expect to be up there. It's a one hell of a division this year. Yeah, well, it, it just looking at the league table, um, you've got Rotherham, um, Plymouth, and MK Dons who are on ten points. Um, sorry, 10 games with 19 points, 17 points, and Ipswich are on 10. So they've got a game in hand, 13 points. They'd only be four points behind Rotherham and five, um, six points behind Plymouth. So, you know, they can catch up quite quickly um, to, to the, the pack. You know, six points in this division with 46 games is not a lot. So, yeah, it's going to be a fascinating division. So, yeah, first half, not too much to talk about, I would say. Second half, there's a lot more action. Um, and the, the first real kind of kind of key highlight of the game was um, their goal of 52 minutes. Um, so a nice run and, and ball to Kai Kai um, and the cross, cross was cleared. Um, it comes to Jacobson um, who, let's say, controls the ball and he strikes the ball into the back of the net. So quite a contentious topic among um, Shrewsbury fans. I think in real time, neither of us saw, thought it was a, um, a handball, um, Chris, but on review, um, do you think it was a handball? Well, yeah, I'll be honest, in real time, I didn't even, it didn't cross my mind. I didn't spot that. What The first thing I saw after it hit the net was a couple of our defenders arguing amongst themselves. They seemed frustrated that they'd lost their man and uh, you could see the irritation. And I thought that was a theme a few times in the second half, actually. You did see our players losing their rag with each other. And, you know, I don't mind that too much. But, yeah, I was a little bit worried at times that they, that was happening and that they were, you know, they seemed to be heads dropping a little bit maybe. But was it handball? Yes. I mean, now I've seen it back on social media. It, it seems to me to clearly come off the top of his arm. I appreciate these things happen fast in real time, but the referee has stood very, very close. You know, you look at, he's in a perfect position. But to me, he see, it looks like he's, he's probably missed it. He's probably missed something. Yeah, it looks to me like we've been unlucky there. Yeah, I watched it in the back a few times. The first time I thought it, yeah, I thought it was a handball. The way it kind of drops and then it kind of almost, I don't know, hovers a little bit, kind of just slows down a little bit and then and then it drops. And a fantastic strike from Jake, so you've got to give him respect for that. I, I, I can't I can't say 100% it was a handball, but for me, yeah, it looked like it was a handball. A lot of Shrewsbury Town fans certainly thought it was a handball as well. Yeah, as you say, good strike, and it's just that classic. What with so many extra players in the opposition, and we seem to concede to ex players all the time. Maybe there was an inevitability to that, and I, 
I can't I can't feel sad. I can't feel angry with Joe Jacobson. I, he's a he's a good lad. He was a good player for us, and I'm, I'm pleased that he's got on to have a good career. Yeah, he's a good player, and you know he's been at Wickham a long time. I'm not going to begrudge him celebrating the goal either. And then I think it's fair to say the heavens opened. It was a very wet day. It's a very wet week. Um, heavens opened, but Shrewsbury kept plugging away. Um, and after this, I thought we created quite a lot of chances, to be honest. Um, and I think we created more chances than they did. Um, so it was a really good one run from Worley to the right, from the right, sorry, to the centre, a ball to Nurse, to Leahy, back to Worley. This was one of the few times we played a bit of football, Chris, and he fired narrowly wide. Um, did you think that was going in? Yeah, from our angle, it wasn't the best view, but yes, it, it, it flashed across the goal, didn't it? It's that what yeah. you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it certainly it looked very, very close from where we were sat. And you're right as well. We, we had a good spell of pressure after Wickham scored, and that, that pleasantly surprised me because, you know, Wickham have this reputation, and people, I, I could hear people around me saying after they scored, oh, that's it now. We're not going to get back into this. You know, Wickham Wanderers, once they go 1 0 up, they'll just kill the game. You won't be able to create chances. But we did create chances, and actually, you know, we, we probably created enough to certainly have, equ- have equalised, and it's frustrating that it didn't happen. That Wally effort was probably as close as we got. At this point, yeah, that's probably, I'd say, our best effort. Obviously, that, that Ado chance in the first half as well. And while we're talking about kind of the players' efforts, um, one of the things I wanted to discuss, Chris, is, you know, we're obviously quite frustrated as a Trujitown fan base. Start the season really poorly. We've got a poor squad in terms of numbers. There's a lot of concern. But I think it's fair to say that the players, you know, really put an effort in. And there was no, for me, there's no, like, kind of, I don't know, downing tools after the goal went behind. The players were firmly behind the manager. That's my impression anyway. What do you think? Yeah, I think I, I, I don't think there's any way you can suggest that the, uh, the manager's lost the dressing room or anything. If anything, in the last four or five games, the quality of our football has improved and the quality yeah. of our side has improved for me. I, and that's a positive. But what's not a positive, of course, is we just still haven't picked up enough points for that. And, you know, the one the thing that gets you mentioned the squad just then. So we're missing Josh Vella for this game. And the, the bit that I still point to the manager for is we've lost one midfielder and we're having to put a left back in midfield. And, you know, that's just that's a failure of squad building. And I, I don't care what he says about having waiting for the right players. Well, he waited too long then because we didn't get them. And now we've got this bizarre squad with just two proper midfielders. Um yeah, it's just that's the bit that gets. I I can't fault what he has. They're working their socks off, but it's not enough when your squad's so imbalanced, and it's going to be hard for us, isn't it? If Josh Vella's not fit on Saturday, presumably we'll be the same again. What happens if David Davis picks up an injury? You know, it's it's perfectly plausible that that might happen. Who plays midfield then? We literally would have no proper midfielders, maybe apart from Lesha Bella, who the manager clearly doesn't fancy. The squad is clearly a, a huge, huge issue, um, and it's going to be yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. I hope Joff Fellows not not available on Saturday. Yeah, I, I thought Leahy while talking about central midfield, Leahy I thought had a really good game. Um, I thought he made a couple of really good tackles and didn't um, didn't put a bad performance in. But clearly, um, missing Josh Fellows a huge loss to the to the starting lineup, and yeah, he's he's definitely I'd say our best player. Credit to Lee. He, he was, I mean, look, for all of those comments I just made, yes, he had a good game. There's no denying it. That was the best I've seen him play when he's been asked to slot into midfield. And he did a job, and he's clearly in a good, rich vein of form at the moment, isn't he? And long may it continue. He's, he's a likeable lad, and he seems to be working his socks off for us. So I hope he can continue. Yeah, good performance from Lee. So, yeah, rest action for the half. There was an, this was not so good decision-making. Um, that effort that Ado had um, in the box, Chris, on the right-hand side, 
and um, Leahy was screaming at him for not crossing. Um, do you think Ado should have crossed the ball there? Yeah, probably. I mean, Leahy's in a good position, but how many times have we seen a striker do that? You give a striker a sniff of goal, and I suppose you know the majority of strikers often will have a pop. I suppose should he have squared it? Yes. If he's not going to square it, he certainly needs to produce better quality than that. He's got to at least work the goalkeeper, and that was also frustrating. If you're going to make that decision, then Blazer gets six feet over the bar isn't the way to go. No, no, it was a, it was a poor effort um, from Ado. Um, then there's a few more Chuja Town chances. There's a Leahy shot from outside the box and a, another decent save from Stockton. Um, there's a corner and a scramble, and that they managed to get the ball away. Um, and then there was, a, a, I wouldn't call it a great effort, a counter-attack from, from Wickham and a shot over from Grimmer. Not the best effort from him. And then moving forward, um, so yeah, basically there was a, a contentious moment now, Chris, um, so basically, Davis is putting pressure and kind of pressurizing the midfielder. The um, player runs into him, goes down, and gets a foul. First of all, do you think that was a foul? It was soft. It was really, really soft, wasn't it? I mean, the reaction from the supporters around us, you'd think that it was obviously not a foul. Got to say, watching it live at the time, I was thinking it's soft, but if it was the other way around, I'd be shouting for the free kick for my team. So that's just the honest part of me. I mean, that these are the tough ones where referees are getting criticism whichever way they go from one of the sets of fans. It, it was a soft free kick, but at the same time, I suppose we gave him a decision to make. Yeah, I don't really agree with that. I think I think watching, I've got the benefit of watching it back a couple of times. Um, his his his, his, foot, his feet were planted on the ground, and he just ran into him. I'm not really sure where he could have gone. He doesn't have to move out of the way. That's not how it works. So for me, it's very very frustrating um, that one. I thought. The handball, not not convinced, uh, not hundred percent convinced. It was a handball, but for me, this one, this one was definitely a mistake from the referee. But credit where credit is due, a really good cross um, from Wickham, poor marking from a Shrewsbury Town perspective, and the ball goes back in the net and two 0 That's that that sucks. <laughs> that really sucked at that point. Yeah, the free kick was Sulai Kaikai, wasn't it? And it was a terrific delivery into the box. Absolutely superb delivery. I mean, should Ebanks Landell have done better? Probably yes, but at the same time, a really good delivery. And so, you know, ta- perfect for Tafazoli, I think it was for Wickham. Yeah, it was Tafazoli scored the yeah. goals. Good header, to be fair. Did it, didn't it? Basically, he just had to direct it in the right direction. The ball had the pace on it. He provided the direction and, you know, goal. It was. It was it was it was a good quality finish. It's the kind of set piece you know we want up when we get a free kick in that position. That's the kind of delivery we're begging for because it was it was well taken. And at two 0 you're right. It, it was frustrating because we had we were in that game and suddenly you think you know we're not. I know we did it against Lincoln in the League Cup, but you don't really fancy Shrewsbury at two 0 down at the moment. So it was a heads down moment for sure for fans as well as players. Shrewsbury didn't down tools again, did they, Chris? I thought we carried on trying to play. No, I thought we did really well, actually, after, again, a bit like after the first goal. I kind of thought, well, that's that. We're not going to get back into this game. 2-0 down, you know, low morale at the moment. I'm sure that, you know, if anything, I was fearing it was going to be like a Plymouth and the next goal would be a Wickham goal. But instead, actually, we responded really well, really positively. And I've got to credit the players that because, my, my God, you know, they, they, they've been through the mill this season, haven't they? I think this is now the 12th time in 13 games they've conceded first. They're obviously staring down the barrel of another defeat at 2-0 down and... I actually thought, given all that, given how the, the pressure they must be feeling, it was a decent response. No, it's a decent response. Use time, keep trying, keep, keep, keep kept knocking on the door. Um, there was a, an effort um, where Wally goes down, I think, quite easily, and we get a, a, the referee gives us a foul. I don't know whether the fans earn that one. Um, free kick, decent free kick from Shrewsbury, and, and Ebanks head as wide, and 
interesting you talk about you know good delivery from a Wiccan point of view. I think we put some good deliveries into the box. I'm not saying you, you disagree with that. Um, but we just don't take those chances, do we, Chris, where Wickham were clinical, where they're heading and they're taking their chance. We get some good balls in the box. And our central defenders, um, and obviously Pennington scored in this game, but you know, Ebanks and Pierre have both had opportunities to score this season. And I think Ebanks really should have done a bit better. He headed wide at this point. Well, yeah, Ebanks, Landell, two games running now, isn't he? I think he's, he missed a really good one on Saturday where he's square in front of goal and he basically was able just to... Just fired at the keeper, yeah. Fired it, and that, I, was, I was looking at one of your XGG charts. Uh, I think it was the Scouts one that had that as a 0.56 goal chart. So, you know, for people who don't like their numbers, I mean, basically that's saying that you should score that more than one in every two opportunities. So it was a really, really good opportunity. And I don't think this one I get was quite as, as good an opportunity, but... You know, good enough that he'll feel he should maybe have at least worked as a goalkeeper, at least put it on target. So he'll be frustrated, I'm sure. Yeah, no, most definitely. And then there's another good effort for Shrewsbury. So a bit of a theme of this half, good efforts for Shrewsbury. Good nurse cross and Bowman headers wide, probably the only real chance for him. Um, and then Bloxham comes on. And then what did Bloxham do to the game, Chris? I thought Bloxham was excellent again, wasn't he? Put himself a, he's, he's that rare combination because he, he's he's big and powerful, but he's, he's also quick and skillful. You know, he ball and he can, he's got a few tricks in his locker. But equally, he's despite being only seventeen, he, he can physically compete with these. You know, the Wickham centre halves are. You know, you're not going to come across too many centre stronger centre halves in the division. But he, he was able to mix it with them no problem at all. You know, he really does look a special talent for his for his age anyway. You. You know, you have to hope that he keeps improving. But you know, from the position he's at now, he looks like one hell of a prospect. So, yeah, he was playing against Stewart. And Stewart seemed to give him quite a lot of respect, I thought. He seemed to really try and put a, try and kind of control at him and try and, and kind of exert his physical presence. But Bloxham was well up for the fight. And I thought a few times Stewart was trying to... I don't know whether he was trying to get Bloxham booked or trying to put him off his game, but he clearly, clearly, clearly saw um, that Bloxham was a bit of a threat. Yeah, I mean, the lad's clearly already got a bit of a reputation, hasn't he? People know about him, people are wary of him. So, yeah, it's, it, it's, it just shows that he, you know, he's probably the best prospect that's come out of our academy, maybe since, you know, since the era of Woods and Goldson. There's been, I can't think of anyone since who's had quite such a buzz around them. No, he's, he's doing really well and he came on. And, and that's, I guess, one of the frustrating things we have at the moment, isn't it? We've got none of our strikers are really claiming a place. Probably Bloxham's probably the most, but you can't claim every game. It's it's, it's not going to be fair on him as, as a young lad. Um, and and there's, I was listening to a podcast earlier in the week. I don't have the evidence for it, but they were suggesting that players that play a lot of games when they're really young don't go on to have such long careers. Um, so, yeah, for me, I think it's fair that we're rotating. And obviously we want to see him play, but... We can't play him every week. You can't flog him. I wouldn't say, Chris, I don't know what your view is on that. Yeah, I suppose. I, I kind of feel that's one of those, whatever I may think of the manager, I have to trust him on that. He sees the lad in training. He's the one talking to him. He knows how he feels. And as you said, you've got to be careful with these guys because, you know, he's, yes, he's young and fit, but equally, you know, I mean, 17 for Cro- Crikey, he's still growing. You know, my basic my basic knowledge of bones at that point says that that lad is still growing. So you have to be careful with them. Yeah. Otherwise, you, you can have problems. So you've got to look after him. And I think, you know, whatever I might think of things Cotterell's done wrong, I've no issues with the way he's just rotated him in the last few games. So then, yeah, Shrewsbury actually scored a goal, Chris. Um, so, um, yeah, we basically it was a Bennett corner. Ball comes in, headed in by Pennington a good goal, uh, a bit of a consolation goal, obviously, in, in terms of the result. Um, but at least we scored a goal finally from a set piece. Yeah, to be fair, you, you know, as it turns out, a consolation goal, but that was, I think, the 77th minute. So at that point, we've had, we've been pressurising, we've scored, 
and you're looking at the clock and thinking with injury time as well there could be almost 20 minutes left here so I was at that point thinking crikey we're still in this you know I had hope that we could go on and equalize so uh, it was a big moment and I've seen those photos. I mean, it's too far away, so I couldn't notice at the time, but I've seen the photos of Pennington celebrating, and they didn't look like the pictures of a face who had just scored a consolation. That's a, those were the pictures of a face who wanted to go on and carry on and get back in the game. Unfortunately for us, Wickham do what they do really well, didn't they? They really slowed the game down. Um, at least two of their players got booked for time wasting, one on a throw and the goalkeeper on the goal kicks. Do you think there'll ever be a day, Chris, where a goalkeeper gets booked twice for time wasting? <laughs> Possibly. I mean, I must say, the goal, yes, the goalkeeper was time-wasting. We were making a point, weren't we, of getting the ball back and then putting it down for him. But we, we, I kept thinking, our players kept putting it down in the middle of the D, and I was thinking, stick it in one of the corners, because goalkeepers always have the excuse to pick it up from the middle and move to one of the corners. And if anything, the first time he got booked, I was a little bit surprised, because all he'd done was pick it up and stroll to the corner. of the, of the uh, And then the second time round, he did the same thing again, and I think the ref looked at it and thought, I can't send him off for that. So... I don't know. It was it, it was it was it was it was wily. It was again. It's one of those things. It works you up as a Shrewsbury fan because you're two one down and trying to get back in the game. But you know, on Saturday, I have no issue with Sean Wally taking the ball towards the corner in the last few minutes as Shrewsbury are trying to hold on. It's just, it's 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 just what you expect. And it's I've seen Shrewsbury goalkeepers do similar over the years. So, yeah, it might not be what some people listening to this want to hear, and I'll, they'll probably think I'm wrong. But I I I've got to say I had no particular problem with Stockdale, and I certainly. <laughs> That, I don't know if you saw some of the reaction. Clearly, he shared something he got on social media from some of our fans, and makes me, it makes my head. It just makes me shake my head when I when I think what comes out of the mouths of some people just because they've worked up about a goalkeeper time wasting. Yeah, there's one thing being frustrated in the ground and shouting something and giving a bit of a boo, but going onto social media and sending some hate hate messages to a, a, a opposition player is just that's just pathetic, isn't it? There's no no way you can kind of um, condone that that kind of behaviour. In terms of time wasting, yeah, we do it. You know, we're not going to say we're whiter than white, and we time waste. You know, in the Hurst season, we time wasted a lot to finish games off. That's what you do. Yeah, the referee, I think, could have done maybe done a little bit better trying to hurry them along. Um, he didn't do too bad, I thought, with the substitutions making them go off. Um, but it's their right, you know, to kind of time waste. But yeah, it is what it is. Um, it's quite funny, Chris. I don't know if you saw this. So I did a tweet. Um, it's sixty-seven minutes into the game, and I said. Exactly what you expect for kickoff. Salop disjointed, Wickham doing their thing. And I said, they are fantastic bastards. And um, it seemed to do the rounds quite a lot with Wickham fans. And it's quite funny, actually. I've never, never had, never get as much comments or likes or, let's say, feedback and messages from opposition fans as Wickham. It's, I do find it quite, quite interesting that Wickham seem to be a lot more, I don't know, vocal on my timeline after a game. It's quite funny. It doesn't, I don't get it with any other club. But then I did see the next day there, the club, the official club um, Twitter account for Wickham Wanderers did a tweet where they said that they're looking some, some, for some fantastic bar stewards and they know what they are. So it was quite funny. I thought that my tweet was taken in the good humour that it was intended to. Um, and you know they are absolutely fantastic at what they do. They win the games. They're doing much better than us. And yeah, you know you can only really um, kind of praise their their ability to get results. Yeah, your tweet was used for a recruitment campaign. It's a bit that's kind of from my world. That's a bit of PR. You should set yourself up as a PR agency and send invoice for twenty grand. Yeah, no, it was good. I quite enjoyed that. And and most and the good thing is that most Wickham fans saw that in the in kind of the the kind of the begrudging respect, but um, that it was intended. So that's quite funny. So yeah, that was it, 2-1. I think overall, Chris, 
think it's fair to say we did create more chances than they did, but obviously football's decided on goals, not on chances. Um, and it's another game where we created chances, but we just didn't put the ball in the back of the net enough. Yeah, it's one of those for me where it's the context that worries me, not the ice. In isolation, that one game, I walk out the ground thinking, OK, I'm disappointed to lose, but we've probably deserved at least a point tonight. Who knows? You know, On another night, you could win that game if you take just a couple of your chances or defend slightly better. It certainly wasn't a poor performance. But at the same time, I then look at the league table, note that you know, we've lost six out of ten games now, and that's from what was considered by most people a relatively soft start to the season. Then you look at the fixture list and the games coming up in the next three or four weeks, and it makes me a bit anxious for what our league position is going to be as we run up towards Christmas because we've got some tough games in front of us now. And, yeah, it's just worrying. And we're coming up to that season, that part of the season where the pitches get heavier and you might pick up a few more injuries and this little squad of ours is going to get stretched quite potentially quite a long way before we get to the January transfer window. So that's the bit that worries me. Uh, if, we could, if, if you told me we could sustain that performance level week in, week out, I'm sure we'll win a few games. But... One, I'm not sure we will always sustain that level because we'll lose players. And two, yeah, we're just coming up against some of the better sides now. It's going to be tough. You know, Bolton on Saturday is going to be tough. Then it's MK Dons at home. And I'm sure, one, they're a good side. Two, I'm sure they'll remember us putting four past them last year. And I just, you know, I, 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 would, I feel a bit of trepidation about that game. So I, I just, I'm a bit anxious about the next three or four weeks, that's for sure. Yeah, I think we're going to be struggling up until January unless we can get a bit of a run going. Obviously, you know, last Saturday was a good result. It was a bit, maybe a bit of a surprise to win. It was a, a nice change. But yeah, I think it's going to be a bit of a struggle. And just to kind of maybe close close this off before we get to the, the top three, I always find interesting, you look on um, on the website called Who Scored? And they kind of do a bit of a theme of the game. And I thought it was quite interesting that, you know, no way during the game that I was trying to claim that Wickham were, were playing anything different to us. And um, in terms of in terms of strength strengths, um, both teams had you know were strengths were effective at creating goal scoring opportunities to set pieces. Both teams had that. In terms of in terms of um, weaknesses, both were aggressive, and our styles. You know, both of us was, were favoured long balls. Um, so you know, I think it's fair to say, Chris, it was two teams basically playing the same tactics. Yeah, when you put it like that, it certainly was, wasn't it? I mean, it was two direct teams, uh, two combative teams, and. Uh, Probably, maybe the scoreline reflects that at this moment in time anyway, they're just that little bit better at it. I totally agree with that. So who's your top three? Found this quite tough. I think uh, man of the match, I would probably go for Luke Lee here. I thought he had a really good game. Uh, really impressed with him playing out of position. Uh, after that, I could have had a few, really. I've gone for a couple. I thought defensively, at times, we were better. And I thought... I thought Aaron Pierre had one of his better games in recent weeks, so I've put him second. I particularly remember that run in the second half when he picked the ball up and went steaming through their team, broke into the box, and he had a shot as well. And I don't know, he just had a bit of energy about him. He was trying to drive us forward to get back in the game, so that pleased me. And third, I've gone Sean Wally again. I, I picked him out as one of my top three last time as well. I thought he had another good game. I think he's found a bit of form at the moment, and we need that because we've got no one else to play that 10 role, and at the moment he's kind of made it his own again. Yeah, no, I think I think that's fair. I thought I did struggle a little bit for top three in this game. Um, I thought Leahy, like you, I think he stood out. And a lot of other players I thought had okay performances. I went for Pennington and Bennett in the end. But yeah, I thought Wally was influential, um, particularly running with the ball. He was a threat. Um, adds a, a totally different element to our game than when he's playing. Um, and yeah, I thought Pierre as well. That one, that one chance actually, it wasn't on the highlights actually, Chris, when I was doing the agenda. Um, was that Pierre chance when he drove forward from the kind of central area 
and had that shot on goal. First into the box, didn't he? And I, it was a good run. He beat, he beat a couple of players, found space. And as I remember it, I mean, I'd have to see it again, but it looked a decent shot as well. It looked a decent save to me. I mean, yeah. it's one of those moments where you just thought Pierre's going to be the hero of an earnest point here, but wasn't to be. But he, had, he was driving us forward, and I thought that, that was good to see. He, you know, he was certainly not giving up on that game. And, you know, early in the season, his head seems to be one that was dropping quickly, but he seems to have got himself fitter, got himself a bit more belief back. The Pierre that we like to see. Um, hopefully he'll score one of those goals, and I'm sure if Green was on the podcast now, he'd be talking about that as the kind of Grandison central offender going on a bursting run. Um, so yeah, we'll enough, mention. I, I said that to someone. I think I said that was a Grandison-like run from Aaron Pierre. So yeah, that's funny. Green will enjoy that if he listens to, when he when he listens back to the podcast. Um, so when. <laughs> when even yeah, well he did finish. Uh, yeah when he listens he's not so well at the moment so fingers crossed he'll be he'll be back again soon comments from the manager um he said it's a frustrating night no issues with the boys tonight maybe the second goal um but ex- we thought he thought we were excellent on the night we create enough chances to get something some of we've covered already but um yeah he said it, they scored it and then you know after that it was total disruption which is a bit of a little link i think in terms of what we were talking about last style of play he was adamant it was a handball, um, and he's disappointed um, with the result. But overall, um, he didn't have any issues with the performance. Um, and it was a soft free kick, um, and he was he wasn't very happy with the referee, was he? The cultural after this game. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those nights actually where I thought I agreed with a lot of his fantastic. That might be pushing it about fantastic, but we were decent. And to be honest, if my manager's going to come out and exaggerate, I'd rather he exaggerates in that direction. And sometimes I thought this season he's come out and been a bit almost too hard on some of his some of his play. I don't know. I just think that he needs to be careful how he manages some of our players. And it was nice to hear him actually put out a few positives about some of his players because he's not been shy this season about you know slamming a few of them and I've, always, I've, I've, I've wondered about how those comments must be received when the players read them or hear them yeah no I'd agree with that I agree with all of that um, so yeah so that was it Tuesday night unfortunately um, Chris um, yeah, we didn't get the result that we wanted um, but not a bad performance and yeah we go on to go on to Saturday um, are you going to Bolton away? sadly I'm not Ollie no I won't be out there this weekend so are you up, are you up there? yeah I'm brought a ticket I think I don't know um, I think I'm going because I've got a kid on the way so I'm trying to trying to get these games in while I can so yeah I'll be going to Bolton and then we are we having a new guest on, on on Sunday so that should be interesting so yeah thanks guys for listening to part one and um yeah Chris big thank you for coming on the podcast again I really appreciate your contribution it's been a pleasure thanks very much <laughs>
And then obviously, you know, we met because last year I was doing a Peep United podcast and analytics podcast called The Posh Report um, and then did a bit of work for a data analytics company as well. Um, so, yeah, that's my credentials, I guess, to be on the pod as a non-Shrewsbury fan. And hopefully I can uh, live up to that in some way. Really looking forward to having you on the podcast, um, James. It's going to be a bit of a bit more of a kind of maybe a bit more focus on tactics, and be really interesting to get your views on our style of play. And and yeah, it was interesting. It's an, I think it's a really good game for you to come on as well. It's quite a it's quite an interesting game. It's a game that um, is quite a, has a lot of similarities of other games, James, um, in terms of our performances um, and you know some kind of key metrics like XG. So, yeah, I think it'd be fascinating as we get through the game. And, yeah, I think it'd be interesting to get your view on Shrewsbury and also Bolton as well. Um, so it'd be interesting to see what you thought of those guys. But talking of Bolton, um, we met um, we met a couple of guys before the game. We met in Harvester, so I went undercover as a Bolton fan. You told me to say your mates got the tickets, so I did that and got in and got into the, the Bolton Harvester. Um, and we had a meal before the game. That was really nice. Nice to meet up with you and your mates. Yeah, it was almost a bit of a disaster, that, wasn't it? I got there first, and then I noticed it said home fans only, and you needed a ticket to get in. Um, so we were nearly nearly redoing our plans. My friend Harish asked me to um, give him a shout-out, so there you go, Harish, I know he's going to listen. But I also want to point out it was his fault that we ended up at a Bolton fans pub rather than anyone else's. It was good, though, to be fair, though. It was one of the best halves I'd had, so fair play. It was good. And, yeah, really nice to, to, meet, to meet the guys. It was really, really fun. Really good football chat um, pre-match. And, yeah, it was probably, for me, actually, probably the most enjoyable part of the day. <laughs> so it was really good fun. And then, yeah, I let you guys go. I went off, got my ticket to walk almost around the whole stadium, got the ticket and got into the stadium. It's actually my first time I've been to Bolton away. And I have to say, it's a really nice stadium, isn't it? Yeah, it's a, it is a really nice stadium, Um I think it was 14,000, did they say? 14,500. Yeah, 14,100. 14, but they, they, still made, they still made a good noise at times, to be fair. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about the penalty, but I thought that was the best example. I've never really experienced live a, a such a hostile environment for a penalty. Um, and yeah, very modern stadium. And it was much easier for us because we were literally a minute walk from the harvester into the ground. We didn't have to do the trek around it. So that was good as well. Yeah, no, so it was a good atmosphere. And um, good stadium. It was nice to get in there. Obviously, it's quite an iconic stadium in terms of it's not just a, a standard box, is it? That you get a lot of lot of modern stadiums. So fair play for Bolton for that. So, so going into the game, as you say, the attendance was fourteen thousand. Um, it was Bolton and Wanderers two, Shrewsbury Town one. Sarsevich and Afaland scored in the scored both their goals in the first half. Um, Leahy scored on eighty nine minutes of absolutely superb free kick. Um, it was a bit of a consolation goal. Um, Shrewsbury Town lineup was actually the same team that played against Wickham, um, so I won't repeat that because you guys have just listened to me go through that team. But I thought it was interesting to note who Hobie Bolton had. So Bolton played in a, I would actually say a four three three. I'll come to you ask you this question, James. What formation do you think Bolton played? Um, BBC had them down as a different formation, but they got Doyle up front, who's obviously a really good striker for this level. Sarsevich, who Shrewsbury Town fans will remember. Um, not so fondly. Um, he was not exactly, I'd say, fit um, and particularly um, efficient in midfield for Shrewsbury. Um, and I think it's also worth mentioning and Santos in defence for Bolton. Him, he was definitely man of the match for me. Yeah, I think you could describe their shape as either a four-three-three or a four-two-three-one. I think Sarsevic was probably more of a ten than an eight, but then Lee definitely wasn't a six. He was definitely more of a eight. Sometimes stepped into the ten and. It was very much down to Williams to to sit in front of the back four. I think you're right to mention Santos. Santos was at Peterborough, oh, it must be about five years ago now. 
and we spoke a bit about him before the game and said physically imposing, really strong, athletic, decent on the ball, but has mistakes in him. But he probably put in one of the best centre-back performances I've ever seen from a, a League One centre-back, especially live at the stadium. He was he was quite fantastic, to be fair, headed everything away, recovery tackles, brought the ball out of defence. As you, as you say, yeah, comfortably the, the man of the match. I thought his positional play was really good as well. I mean, he's really good at reading the danger, wasn't he? And we'll come on to some of his his key moments in the game. Very much in a frustration for Shrewsbury. But yeah, he had a very good game and, and fair play to him for that. Um, so the game um, well nearly started. There was a minute applause for Roger Hunt, which I thought was really well respected by all fans. Um, and I thought Shrewsbury actually started the game pretty well. Um, Shrewsbury intercepted a long pass from Sarsevich. Um, Nurse um, played one of many long balls up to Bowman, who headed it down to a doe. Um, the strike is blocked by Santos, and then the follow-up shot was blocked um, from Bowman by that man Santos again. Um, interesting start to the game, I thought, um, James. It kind of, for me, set the tone of how Shrewsbury Town were going to attack. Yeah, I think, I think so. I think up until the goal, Shrewsbury were by far the better team. Um, I thought you pressed from the front well. Occasionally, Bolton did manage to play through it, and I think a common theme of the game, especially when uh, pressing, was not being able to uh, stop the switch of play. Perhaps due to like lack of angles or not quite getting the cover and distances right, and Bolton managed to play out. But for most of it, I thought Shrewsbury played with really good energy. You could see the plan was to go to direct um, into Bowman or though then either get on second balls or try and get him behind. I thought the standout feature for me was the movement of those front two and also Leahy and um, Wally when they were running from central midfield, doing a good job of getting between and these defenders and making good runs in behind. And and yeah, it genuinely looked dangerous, but then I'm sure you're going to talk about it next. The, the sucker punch of those two goals really changed the game. Yeah, just before we kind of get to that, what did you, we've been, we've, we've really struggled with strikers at the moment. We don't have a recognised two at the moment. We've got Bowman, Ado, Crossgrove, Bloxham. We've got a young lad called Caton as well, um, who was quite apparently was pretty good at, in warm up in terms of striking the ball. Um, and we've got Raquel Pike as well. So we've got a lot of strikers at the team, but were you quite impressed by the runs from Bowman and Ado? Um, yeah, early on. So uh, I think there are issues. So I would say, in general, Shrewsbury's attacking game plan revolved around having one striker coming short and the other one running in behind. It wasn't always the same striker doing those things. Um, so, for example, sometimes Bowman would be uh, deeper and sometimes Ado would be higher. Um, and especially when you dropped into a deep shape, it was a really clear 5-3-1-1. So there was always one dropping into the 10 and then one stretching play in behind. I'd kind of say that given the fact that your system is all about running in behind and and getting in behind early and stretching to play that way, although I thought in general the movement was good, I thought that you lacked a player who is natural at doing that. And I think that was one of the reasons Santos looked so good because Santos was probably quicker than both of the Shrewsbury centre-forwards. So even if you did get in behind him, he was able to make those uh, recovery challenges and and tackles. Um, one of my biggest bugbears of the of the Shrewsbury attack was the number of times you played in really early to Bowman and then you played in perhaps too early to him to then pick up second balls and the ball was coming straight back. So I'm sure we'll talk about that in a bit more detail. But yeah, on the front two, I thought they both worked hard, um, especially in that opening stages. But 
I think had you had someone say like a Chapman who is natural running behind, you'd have caused a lot more problems. Yeah, Wally does a good job of running, gets into those spaces. He's good, obviously, dribbling with the ball. But yeah, for me, he hasn't got that quite that knack as like Chapman did. Obviously, Chapman got 10 goals for us in the second half of last season. And that's what is really lacking. And it's one of the only many frustrations among the Shrewsbury fan base at the moment was that lack of number 10. Um, but yeah, I thought that Leahy um, and Wally did quite well to support the front too. Um, but just before they scored their goal was another ball forward, Leahy, and wins the ball. Nice pass long to Bowman. He His run holds off Santos, who actually goes down. And like yeah, you mentioned about the kind of the crowd, I thought they were quite loud in terms of appealing for that. It, the referee played on. Um, and then Wally had an effort. It was deflected um, for a corner. But as I said, Shrewsbury um, started quite brightly. And then Bennett, Bennett gives the ball away. In, in their defensive third, triggering the Bolton counter-attack. Shrewsbury Town tries to stop the counter, um, but, but, um, but Bolton win the ball back again. Lee passes to Sarsovic, who trots forward um, and, yeah, puts the ball in the back of the net. And for me, it was really frustrating. It was a clear tactic for me that they were trying to get that ball in between our, our either right um, centre-back and our, and our right wing-back. And then also on the other side, and that kind of gap that sometimes exists in a in a three five two formation, um, but, and they exploited that really well, particularly in this goal. Would you say, James? Yes. Yeah, so I guess one of the one of the issues with Shrewsbury's defensive setup, perhaps, was that they gave a lot of space on the edge, as you say. Um, and I think, as you say, with the five three two, it's hard for the centre mids to also get across and and press the the right wing back. Obviously, the first goal, I think, came from a, a turnover because you've got everyone tracking back. And I thought, in general, while Shrewsbury did a good job of pressing in the first half an hour or so from like the goalkeeper when it was a, a set move from Bolton starting at the back, I thought when there was a transition and when you had to then step out and press or, or recover and press, I thought one of the big issues was just got no pressure on the ball and just all trotted back. And I thought we saw that with this goal, which was often the goals are quite random, but I think both goals were reminiscent of some of the issues with Shrewsbury's defence in that in the first goal, Wally doesn't track out in the first instance to press the ball. And then I think it was Bennett, who was your right wing back, doesn't go and press the second pass. So uh, Bolton get to the edge of the box, basically without any pressure of them. And then between them, Bennett and and Davis struggle to, struggle, or don't put any pressure on Sarsovic, who, who obviously Benz went into the top corner. Uh, it was kind of frustrating in a way to see it because I know we've spoken, I know you got a bit frustrated with the fact that Bolton was just passing it around the midfield, but I thought up until that point, Shrewsbury had contained Bolton pretty well. Obviously sat very, very deep in the, the low block once Bolton did bypass the press, but had eight men behind the ball, very few gaps, very compact. I thought your organisation was good. You could see clear communication, players pointing where to pick up, uh, picking up in general, picking up runners, dealing with their rotations, not giving away any big chances. But then when you just drop that deep, it just takes one mistake. And the mistake was nobody went out and closed the ball, either Bennett or Davis. One of them had to step, they didn't. Sarsic had too much time, a player of that quality. He manages to pick out the top corner and you're 1-0 down. And imagine you add into that team that you saw on Saturday, James, Ollie Norburn and Josh Vella. And that was the key for us last season when we went on that run to pull out of the relegation zone. 
imagine having Josh Vella, who I talked to at length um, in the pub before the game, and obviously you're getting to know Ollie Norburn now. You could imagine that if we had Ollie Norburn and Josh Vella in that central area, there were that one of the things that those two are really good at is, is covering space, tracking, tracking runners, and and of kind of finding and kind of spotting danger. And yeah, we're going off on a bit of a tangent now, but how how is Ollie Norburn getting on at um, Peterborough, and what kind of role does he play in? Um, yeah, I'll kind of deal with both points if that's okay. So yeah, yeah. On, I think on the Vela point, like my basic assessment of Wally was that in the role he played, he was kind of wasted because he doesn't have the stamina of the athleticism to constantly track back and press and get out. And you could see he had to pick his moments and those moments were trying to get forward and support. Like we spoke about the movement in behind. If it was me, I'd have probably played him as part of that front too. Um, and I know you're short of centimetres, but use his movement in behind that way because I thought, yeah, especially as the game went on, I think after about 60, 65 minutes, he was knackered. And if you did have Vela in that role, I've got no doubts Vela would have been able to cover that space out out wide and get out wide because, we, well, as we both said in the pub, one of his key strengths is his, just his energy and his, and his ability to keep going. And, and that athleticism was missed both in terms of attacking transitions, which I'm sure we'll come on to, and defensively. Um, in terms of Ollie Norburn at Posh, he's probably been Peterborough's best midfielder so far this season. Um, his role at Posh is very simple. It is a sit, protect the back four or five when they play a five, win the ball and, and give it. And he's been really good at that. Um, and if you say transported him into the role, but Davis was playing, um, although I think tactically Davis had a quite a difficult role. I know we're going to talk more in depth about the midfield at some point. I think if you put Norburn in that role, protecting the space and his decision making of of when to go for a man and when to protect the space, I think that's a completely different midfield. And I don't think the goal happens because I think Norburn closes down that shot if he's in Davis's position. He recognises the danger. Yeah, I'd agree with that. that and that's what I, that was what I was alluding to. Um, I would have thought either of Josh or Norburn, when they both played as two sixes and were really, really effective in that space um, and would have cut that out. And it's something we lack. We'll definitely talk about midfield um, three a bit later on. Um, and then five minutes later, um, another mistake from Shrewsbury. So a poor kick from Morosi. Lee passes the ball to Athlan, who runs forward. He evades Salat players, four players in total, I believe. Um, and I'd say, you know, it was definitely skill from him, some good dribbling, a little bit of luck as well. A ball bounced off Bennett's um, midriff and, and kind of dro- dropped in front of him quite nicely. But I have to say the, the finish from him was superb. And yeah, being away, um, obviously a league one side, you know, it's not always you play against 14,000, but to be 2-0 down against 14,000 opposition fans um, after 23 minutes is, um, I think it's fair to say, a bit of a nightmare. Yeah, I thought... The second goal, there was similarities to that first goal, wasn't there? And when I said often, you know, goals are at random, but actually the two goals were quite quite similar and quite um, symptomatic of the good and the bad of Shrewsbury and perhaps the good and the bad of Bolton as well. Um, I thought one thing worth pointing out for the second goal was how well Bolton counter-pressed off loss of possession. And I thought one of the things in the game was they reacted much quicker to situations. I thought at times Shrewsbury, there was confusion about when to press, when not to press, when to sit. Whereas Bolton, they looked 
perhaps better coached in some of the principles of the play yeah. of when to do do certain things. And I think that's that because they've been a team that have been together for a while. And also, just very quickly, could you explain what's counter-press? Uh, so a counter-press is essentially when you lose the ball, you immediately go and try and win it back. So you, you counter the counter situation with a press yeah. is the definition of a, a counter-press. So in that situation, Bolton had an attack Shrewsbury won the ball back and Bolton immediately pressed with about three players to force the pass back to Morosi. And the other thing that does is it gives your team chance to recover behind. Whereas if you look at the Bolton first goal, when Shrewsbury lost possession, there was no one applying pressure to the ball. And that meant Bolton were able to establish an attack very, very quickly while Shrewsbury were trying to recover. Um, I thought the goal actually, if we talk about Morosi's impact in the goal, I thought one of the issues was how early he was going long at times. And I'm not sure if it was his decision, if it was Cottrell's decision, but often with the back three, you had options to play to the centre-backs and both Pennington and um, Pierre are quite good at hitting those long balls and it allows you to set with the central midfielders pressing high. I know he completely miskicked this one, but in general, when I thought when Morosi was playing long, Bowman wasn't winning anything up against Santos and then the ball was coming straight back because the sentiments didn't have time to cover up. So I felt in this situation, Pierre was perhaps guilty for not giving him the pass, but I think he'd also given him that option a number of times and not taken it. So the goal could have easily been avoided, I thought, by Pierre just peeling left a bit, giving him the pass and then building the attack from him. But as you say, my notes was that after the poor kick, I just put Wally Davis and Lee. He looked like they never made a tackle before <laughs> because some of the defending was was very bizarre and then much like Davis with the first goal Ebanks Landau just doesn't step up and if he steps out he can perhaps perhaps block the shot because one thing you did do was you you loaded the box well and you had those additional layers but you didn't have anyone actually stepping out and and uh, putting pressure on the attacker and I think that was a, a big error for both goals. One of the things I wanted to discuss James was the midfield three um, so Davis is a natural midfielder, a sitter or a box-to-box for most of his career. And we've got Leahy, who is um, predominantly a left wing-back in his career. Um, but then also we've got Worley, who's played most of his career as a right right winger. Um, do you think that was evident on their performance on Saturday? Shrewsbury won the midfield battle for the first 20 minutes or so in terms of getting players in and around the ball. Um, but as the game went on, that completely changed and and obviously Williams, the Bolton six, was was dictating play. I, I don't know how much of it was player and how much of it was system. I thought Davis's role was interesting because I know it was you can call it a a flat three or you can call it a two with, with Wally in top and uh, in front and at times it looked like both. But Davis was definitely the one who had to sit. And I thought he sometimes had issues in terms of he was primarily defending the space in front of the defence. And then Wally and Leahy's role out of possession was to go and press. And what happened once Bolton figured out what was happening, Sarsevich, who had been standing basically next to to Davis for parts of the game and in that space between the the midfield and the defence, dropped off. And all of a sudden, Bolton constantly had an overload in midfield and were progressing the ball really easily. And then Davis wasn't going to step up with him because he was defending the space. And I thought that caused issues. Leahy, I felt, did okay in midfield. I felt he, he brought some decent energy, put some 
had some good rotations actually with players and, and showed some good movement. He, at times, it looked like him and Wally, their role in midfield was in possession was reminiscent of that of, say, Kelvin Phillips for England at the Euros, whereby they were being tasked with not so much receiving the ball in midfield, but being support runners. So either getting in behind or or picking up second balls and supporting the attack if, if they didn't win the first contact, if they couldn't play in behind. And we saw Wally have a shot early from that situation. But as I said, I just don't think Wally was well suited to the role he was playing. I think it wasted him in terms of he's the Shrewsbury player who has the most impact getting in behind. But he was having to come so deep in uh, during the def- des- defensive spells to sit in that deep 5-3-1-1 block as on either the right or the left of it that he just lacked the the energy I thought and the and the pace to get forward into those positions he needed to but I know you we were discussing in the pub and I think it's just a case of of needs must yeah. but def, it definitely does look like um square square pegs in round holes at times yeah and that's a, a theme unfortunately of this squad as, as you know we've got we've got a, a shortage of midfielders and Wally does well doesn't he he plays as that a bit like Gareth Bale did at the end of his time in Tottenham in his first spell that being that kind of central winger running forward with the ball and that's one of the advantages in playing that role but for me he's not natural in that kind of defensive side of the game and then yeah as you really um, really nicely explained why then Bolton start to dominate the play and really kind of found space in midfield and then after the goal, it got really frustrating from a Shrewsbury perspective. It felt like it was Menvy boys um, for the rest of the half. And with Bolton just really, with Williams sitting deep, playing as that deep line playmaker, playing balls around us, um, it was really, really frustrating. But anything that you want to kind of comment on the first 25 minutes? Anything, any good or bad or anything to add? I guess on the first 25, just that I thought Shrewsbury were the better team and it came out of it 2-0 down due to a couple of really nice finishes and and a couple of mistakes defensively. Um, I think you were right after that, though. One of the things I put was on about 30 to 35 minutes, stop pressing as a team. And I think that's when you perhaps lacked a, a leader in midfield, a Norburn, who could orchestrate that midfield um, because it started to look really disjointed. The only other thing I would add as a, as a constant theme back on the midfield was when you did get into an advanced positions, it was very often just Udo and Bowman attacking on their own. And you lacked support beneath the ball. Like one of the one of the most common features of football is to see an up back through. So you play to an advanced player, they then knock it back, and then the player who receives it plays a through pass. But so often Udo, I thought, who had a good game, was picking up the ball even in the first twenty five minutes and was looking for that pass backwards. And there was just no one supporting beneath the ball. And then Bowman and Udo had to do a lot on their own. Um, so I thought that was disappointing throughout the game. But in general, first 25, pretty good. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned about that. And um, I think consistency and lack of familiarity within the squad is, is a big issue we have. You talk about Bolton, you know, being able to make subtle changes in the game, experience playing together. Shrewsbury, obviously, building a new side. Obviously, Bolton had a great season last year. Interesting, you talk about Ado, um, you know, doing some layoffs. I just felt he he was quite had quite an unlucky game. So there was a, a moment where Shrewsbury actually won the ball in the in the box, got forward um, to Ado, um, and he basically Lee he plays a ball a one two with with Ado, and, he, and Ado if Ado had 
basically tried to pass to Leahy. Leahy would have been basically running in on goal just in front of the penalty spot, which would have been an absolutely fantastic opportunity. Um, but Ado shot over, partly probably because he was frustrated he hadn't been in the game. But for me, that's, I thought that was quite a nice example, James, of how Shrewsbury Town in the final third kind of like just break down. Yeah, I, I mean, I thought Ado had a, a good game. As I said, I think he lacked support. There was a moment in the second half, actually jumping ahead of it, uh, so stop me if you need to, but he he picked up the ball and it was just him and Bowman. And he looked to play through to Bowman, but Mo, Bowman had ran about two yards offside. And then it was just him basically head down charging against four players. And I think that kind of summed it up in that he perhaps did as much as he could, but didn't have the support around him. In terms of the the final third play from Shrewsbury, I thought at times you worked the ball quite well, especially in wide areas. I thought the rotations and patterns and movements in wide areas were quite good. But the issue was, even when you were having nice moments, it resulted in a cross. And very often that cross was either uh, headed away by Santos or just a really bad one. Um, There was a moment actually when you had a really nice move down the right. And it was one of the few times you saw Pennington get forward and overlap as like a third man run so two players are built to that P comes creates a 3v2 and then just crosses the ball straight off the pitch um, and then in terms of Shrewsbury's final third I thought they just lacked either a creative midfielder who could pick a pass or they lacked someone who would dribble dribble and commit three or four players and create space for others I thought it just ended up either being as you say shots from range and that Udo was an example of when the pass was on and there was a couple of times the decision-making was poor. But I thought more than the decision-making, it was just a lack of options to create in the final third other than crosses, which was the issue. And when you had Santos just heading everything, you were never going to score from across. No, and we weren't going to score from shooting. One of the things that's been a frustrating for Shrewsbury for quite a few years now is almost that lack of options leads to a striker shooting. And I'm not sure if Weisskat actually do this stat, but I would be guessed that we have one of the highest number of block shots in the division. Um, you know, there isn't an option there. Striker's in a good position and he just kind of tries and pulls a trigger, even though the chance of scoring uh, is really low. Um, so that was frustrating. Yeah, and another effort to talk about was the Worley when he drove down the left, a poor touch and Santos claims and picks up the ball. That was one of the examples you were talking about earlier, wasn't it, James, where Santos then just looks like a fantastic defender. And then there was another chance, a nice chip from Leahy, who I thought actually played some really nice balls forward. Really good control from Ado, his shot is blocked. And then Bennett's effort is cleared off the line by guess who? Santos again. Um, and Shrewsbury unlucky, I thought, not to score in that moment, James. I mean, that Santos block off the line was just superb, wasn't it? It just looked like a goal all the way in. Yeah, the, the impressive thing about Santos was he was an aggressive front foot defender. So he was coming and, and stopping. But then he was also able to to sweep up as well. And if if Santos hadn't been playing, that game could have been very different because he did put in a, a fantastic centre-back performance. But yeah, um, it was interesting actually looking at the XG, which I'm, I'm sure we're going to talk about was um, Shrewsbury's was significantly higher than um, than Bolton's. I forgot you played then. It's been a long day. Um but I thought one of the issues was, and I think it comes down to perhaps Shrewsbury lacking a a like a real clinical goal scorer, um, was that although you got the ball into really good areas of the pitch, I thought when the strikers received the ball, they weren't quite in the right positions to score a lot of the times. And I'm not sure if that's a, a common theme, but 
I think one of the things I was looking at before the game was the discrepancy between Shrewsbury's XG and their um, ability to score goals. And I kind of put it down to maybe the goals, the chances not fall into the strikers and, and the strikers not getting in positions. But in this game, the, the chances were falling to them. But I think Shrewsbury are just creating chances which traditional models maybe overestimate their their um, their worth because there's either defenders in the way or the strikers look into the left rather than square onto goal and just and just various instances whereby you get into really good positions but then just the final action isn't quite there. Yeah, you, you hit the nail right on there, James. In the last game against Wickham, um, Ebanks Landell had a shot from a corner, from a corner, um, basically not defended very well, and he had a shot in basically on the six yard line, a point zero five shot. And yeah, strikers not taking those chances has been a, a big theme. It, it took us over ten percent of the season to get our first goal, and yeah, I'm sure you scored the goal from Tom Blocks, and that was an amazing goal. That was our first goal of the season, but it took us over ten percent of the season to score that goal. And yeah, making decisions and oh, we have been unlucky. Um, I said after the first few games, um, we've been a combination of shit and unlucky, um, and that's kind of sums up our attacking play sometimes. Unlucky, wrong decision, shot blocked, good defending, some good goalkeeping at times uh, have meant that we're our xG um, doesn't relate to our goals. And, and in terms of kind of league positions, we should be uh, from an xG point of view would be seventeenth in the league from an xG perspective. But clearly, obviously, we're not. We're doing we're twenty third. Um, and not scoring goals has been an issue for a long time for Shrewsbury. Now, you might not have thought that when Chapman scored two against you last season. Um, but yeah, scoring goals is a big issue for us. Yeah, I think I remember when Bowman came in um, and we had a quick chat and I basically said I wasn't 100% sold in it because you would get, what, 15 goals a year in an extra side. But extra create a lot of really good chances. And he's actually a career poor finisher. If you look at his XG compared to his... Um, his goals, um, and he's actually been the sh- one Shrewsbury player who has got into some really good positions, has by far and away the highest XG per 90. But again, his his finishing, it seems, has let his down, him down. Obviously on a very small sample, but the data going back to 2016 suggests that's not, that's not uh, a random occurrence. What I would say in terms of Bloxham is he's one whereby the data I think is quite promising that you might have a goal scorer there. Yeah. So we spoke about him last year and I said, you know, he's really good at everything, but his movement in the final third, he doesn't get in positions to, to score. Last year, his XG per 90 was 0.05. He just never looked like scoring. And now it's 0.24, which isn't particularly high. You'd probably want your lead striker, but he's somewhere between 0.4, 0.45 would be a really good one. 0.3, 0.35 is kind of acceptable. But he's showing that progression of he's getting into more dangerous chances. And I think we saw that a bit yesterday in that he was getting into better areas of the pitch where he might start scoring. So, yeah, interesting comments about Bloxham. Um, he's only played 389 minutes. Um, so to put that in context, Ado has played 757. And we've also got Cosgrove, who has played... 589 so block blocks him, who played quite a few games earlier on often not actually on the wing James um, he hasn't really played up front that much and also he's been let's say rotated a little bit he's only 17 um, so that's that's probably not a surprise that probably maybe explain some of those numbers and then secondly as well second point for me there's a lot of debate sometimes when I post my XG numbers and I thought it was a really good illustration there why XG can be so important with recruitment 
and we're seeing that now. You know, you don't expect Bowman to have a you know a low XG number in terms of his conversion rate to then almost kind of like spring into life and completely transform that in League One. Yeah, I think so. I think one of the confusions around XG is the name. It's just an awful name, expected goals. Um, and I think it's very easy to dismiss it because it, it sounds stupid, but it, it's just a way of assessing the quality of the chances they receive. It's it's not a perfect method, but in a in a large sample size like we have with Bowman in League Two going back to 2016, it's a pretty good indicator that he's not going to suddenly become a, a really top-class finisher. I'd say one of the promising things is that he is still averaging a relatively high XG in comparison to Shrewsbury's other uh, strikers. Like the, he's almost the opposite of Udo, where Udo over a period of time has outperformed his expected goals metric, but his XG per 90 is 0.19. So he's only getting into chances to score once every five games if he plays the full game. Um, so again, that's that's an indication of you've got you've got a good finisher who doesn't get into chances, into good positions, and in Bowman you've got a below average finisher who gets into really good positions. <laughs> Which is, as you can summarise and explain you know, why Shooter Town fans are so frustrated um, because we've been kind of suffering from this for a while. Ado, really hard worker, um, and one of the things that manager's trying to do is he's telling him to be a little bit more selfless which is maybe why we see some of these shots that he's taken. Interesting discussion there, James. So, second half of Shrewsbury Town are down 2-0. Um, second half starts. I don't think Shrewsbury really came out of the blocks. I'm not really sure what was said at half-time. Half um, Lee had an effort in the box. It's, for me, this was poor um, positioning from a Shrewsbury Town perspective. Too much space in, in, the, in, in front of our back line. All three central midfielders were on the left-hand side. And as you mentioned earlier, James... This was something that they did a really good job of Bolton of kind of manipulating and moving our central field and then switching play. Yeah, the the switch of play was the the issue all game. So obviously, I'm sure most most fans know what a switch of play is. If the ball's on the left, moving it across to the right. A general principle of defending is that you'd always leave the play on the far side because you want ideally an overload around the ball. So one more player ideally around the ball than the opposition have ball side. And then equality in the middle, so as many players defending as as the opposition, so you can mark man for man if you want to. And then on the far side, you want a you just leave that player because you can cover across. But that means you have to be able to stop the ball getting there through either pressure on the ball or blocking passing lanes. And and that was something Shrewsbury didn't really do particularly well. Um, although having said that, the the Lee effort you referred to, I'm pretty sure is the only shot in the box Bolton had, which does show you what a good containing job Shrewsbury did when they were dropping into that shape, although it was boring. Like we spoke about the second half, about three minutes in, I turned to my mate Harish and I said, if the second half goes on like this, I'm going to fall asleep because it was Bolton pass, pass, pass and Shrewsbury just containing. Um, but even though they were containing, I thought they did a, a pretty decent job of it in the main. And I thought actually a lot of Bolton's possession was quite stale in that they didn't look like create uh, light breaking shoes we down after those two goals at all. You're right. That was the only the only shot um, that Bolton had inside the box. And they had nine outside the box um, and one inside where Shrewsbury had eight inside the box. Um, which obviously then with with thirty three percent possession. So yeah, I thought I thought I thought we I thought Shrewsbury Town made Bolton look better than they were. Um, and Bolton obviously then looked quite a bit better than they did, um, and obviously the XG backs up that kind of that kind of story. 
Um, and then it took us far too long to do this. We actually then, I don't like the, say, the phrase wake up, but I think it's actually really clear and fair in this game. Shooter Town did wake up and started pressing and started playing a bit better in the second half. And, you know, after a little bit of, you know, concerted effort, Wally drives into the box on the right-hand side. He's tripped by Sarsovic. Wally was looking for it, but I don't know why Sarsovic put his foot there. He clearly tripped him. He went over um, and there was a penalty and... I'm not going to comment on the penalty, James. I'm going to hand that over to you. What did you make of Bowman's effort? I have a lot of thoughts, some of which contradict each other. So for context, I think it's important to note that the goalkeeper really delayed that penalty and did a good job of delaying the penalty by you know, talking to the ref and standing about eight yards and walking back slowly, which puts extra pressure on them, on the player. Um, I thought he then did a good job of you know, distracting him or trying to distract him by jumping on the line. I'd be amazed if Bowman's ever taken a penalty before in that atmosphere because I've, as a Peterborough fan, not really experienced that atmosphere for, for an opposition penalty. The, the noise, the whistling, just the hostility of the pen. Um, the penalty itself was really strange. So I was sat basically level with the penalty spot um, that where it was being taken. And it wasn't struck with any conviction. I actually thought until I saw replays, it was hit so meekly. I thought he'd penenkered it. I didn't even realise he'd he'd tried to strike through it. Having said all of that, normally the keeper would dive and that goes in. So I think Bowman had was a little bit unfortunate in that respect. But then I was watching it back. And as a former keeper, you always watch the hips. And now this is just a complete hypothesis. I have no, nothing to base this on in terms of like, we don't know exactly what the keeper saw. But as Bowman's running up, as he's a, he, the keeper's clearly planning on diving to his left. And then there's something about the penalty, which means he holds his ground. Like if you watch it again, he yeah. takes a big step. He's about to he go. He does, doesn't he? And he kind of twists himself. Gogg was in a quite a weird position. He seems at an angle almost to the ball coming towards him. Yeah, and then he just reacts and punches back. I would be pretty sure that's because Bowman's hips are so square to the ball as he hits it that he it 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 makes it clear to the keeper he's not going to the keeper's left because Bowman would have to open out and and strike with the inside of his foot to go that way. So therefore he stops and then because it's not hit very well, I think if he smashes it, it's going to be hard for the keeper to even react and make that save. But because it's hit quite weakly. I think he's able to then get that punch on it. Um, so I don't know. Like it's it's one of those whereby I'm f- you can almost give Bowman the benefit of the doubt because most penalties down the middle go in. But I think he did a number of things wrong that gave the keeper a clue not to dive. I thought it was really good context for the pressure on him. He's obviously playing in League Two football. He's not getting used to that kind of pressure. And then I was sitting at like an angle. So it wasn't behind the goal. I was to the left-hand side of the goal quite a way over. And the angle on the way he hit it is really hard for me to understand what had actually happened. I thought he'd actually gone more to the right and the keeper would kind of like hit it away somehow. But yeah, when I watched it back, it was it was worse than I, worse than I thought. And for me, that was yeah a really poor moment. And I thought it was quite interesting. I saw a tweet from a Bolton fan called Colin Yates, and he said that's the worst penalty he's ever seen in the 15, 25 years that he's been going to the Reebok. Um, not a surprise. 
And then, and then talking of bizarre, so I thought the penalty decision and the penalty um, application from Bowman was poor. And then we had a really weird moment. I'll be really fascinated to know, James, what did you think happened in real time? Because what I thought happened in real time was actually different um, to what actually happened. But and I was actually, at the time, I thought I was quite proud of myself because I'd spotted it, but I was actually wrong. So it's a really funny bit of play. So a butter... A, so better is on the pitch. Finally, he's come on. He's had four minutes on Tuesday night. Today, he had 10 minutes. So lucky or better. Um, he gets tackled, but the way that the ball kind of ricochets, it actually runs forward. It's actually a bit of a through ball. Cosgrove was offside. He, he intercepts the ball. And then, really interestingly, the linesman, who had an absolute mare of a game, and we'll talk about him in a moment, puts his flag up. Santos picks up the ball but the referee had not actually blown his whistle. And um, Leahy um, was right on it straight away, pointing out to the referee what had happened. The referee, um, I think the referee probably would have made the decision anyway. Um, he said then gives him a yellow card. The Bolton fans go absolutely ballistic because they can't quite understand what's happened. Um, so yeah, first of all, what, what did you think actually happened in real time, James? So in real time, I had a very different perspective to the thousands or so people sat around me. Um, because I thought the ref had made a good decision, but in a really bad way with the lines and putting his flag up and the ref not immediately telling him to put it down. Um, I thought it had come off a Bolton player and therefore Cosgrove was on side. But I thought the free kick had been given for a pull. So I thought, because there was a shirt pull in the move as well, and I thought he'd given it for the pull, which was probably about five or ten yards behind where the free kick was taken from. I didn't realise that Santos had picked up the ball. But then it was still like Santos picked up the ball right on the edge of the area. It was almost a penalty. And then Lee, he managed to move the ball back about five yards to give himself a better angle to I didn't notice that. It. So much happened, didn't it, in that little bit of play? It's really quite fascinating. No one, I don't, I doubt it, there was many people in real time realised it was a handball and that was why the yellow card was given but a really good spot um, from Leahy who obviously so yeah why did he do that then James what, what was his what was, the, what was his plan there in, well in terms of moving the ball back yeah. I think just to give him a give him a angle. chance to get it up and up and yeah. down if you because it was, it was almost a penalty it was because he was right like maybe a, at most a yard outside and then I think the three free kick was moved just outside the D or on the D um, but yeah, it's just it's it's really hard to get the ball up and down if if you're that close because if the wall's ten yards back and you're eighteen yards out from goal, you've only got eight yards for the ball then to dip, and it's very difficult to get any power on it. Um, whereas if you move it a bit further back, you can hit it with a bit more power and. And Lee, he hit it really, really well. Yeah, it was an absolute peach of an effort, wasn't it? Um, I thought it was quite funny that I think it was the actual the, co- the commentator from Quest that does the I follow one um, was saying that he would, he didn't understand what had happened there. Um, he thought maybe the referee had made it, uh, the wrong decision. Uh, it must have been quite interesting for you being amongst the Bolton fans, realising that the right decision had been made, but the Bolton fans obviously were not very happy with the decision. Any comments on, on the goal? I thought it was a nicely taken free kick. I, I don't think you can say much more than that, really. Yeah. <laughs> it was just a good free kick. It was a good free kick. A bit late, unfortunately, for Shrewsbury. Um, but yeah, a really good free kick. And yeah, that was a little bit too late, wasn't it, for Shrewsbury's revival? And it was 89 minutes we scored the goal. So, James, obviously the game ended 2-1 for Shrewsbury. Any final comments and thoughts on, on, on the game? Yeah, I think probably two. One thing that I forgot to mention and one thing um, which was just after the goal. And I messaged you at the time with quite strong wording questioning why Shrewsbury didn't press immediately after the goal. So 
Bolton kicked off and you've got six minutes basically to score an equaliser, you you know that the opposition team are going to be rattled. Your team should have this injection of impetus and, and momentum. And then for this bizarre reason, Shrewsbury then immediately drop back into their deep block and allow Bolton to almost play through with what should be this this wave of pressure that never comes and allow them just to settle back into a, a similar pattern. I thought that was really strange. Um, the other thing I forgot to mention, which was you alluded to the fact that at one point Shrewsbury almost woke up um, at one point in the second half. I, I'm not sure if this is the reason why they stopped pressing, but they clearly stopped pressing um, after about 30 minutes. And at times it was the, the, the two centre forwards pressing on their own and then everyone else just waiting for this press to be bypassed on the halfway line, which seemed which seemed bizarre in that why would you not then just pull your two centre forwards into a into a, a mid block rather than just sitting and and waiting for for Bolton to bypass them? But one thing Bolton did do from kickoffs was they pushed their left back Declan John after about twenty twenty five minutes when Shrewsbury had had a lot of success pressing. They pressed him right up onto your right wing back Bennett, and so they had a front four from goal kicks rather than a front three. And I think what that did was it stopped either wing-back being able to join the press, which they've been doing really well. Because I think um, what the your manager, wanted, what Cottrell wanted, was basically to always have a, a plus one at the back. So the three centre-backs plus one of the wing-backs forming a four. And then that meant one wing-back could go and then they were four, three, three still at the back. When Bolton pushed their left-back up, Shrewsbury just didn't seem to adapt to it. And they their wing backs just got penned in, and that was really when Williams started to dictate for midfield, and there was just so much time and space to to play out. And one of the things I put was just the easy progression through the full backs for Bolton. So once the wing backs stopped pressing up, the second the pass went to the full backs, they were able to carry it about twenty yards, and and then it was just Shrewsbury dropping onto the edge of their area and and trying to contain rather than trying to win the ball back. I think that's a really good observation, James. And yeah, frustrating that Shrewsbury were out for and from a tactical point of view. And then obviously the way that we conceded the two goals in that first half, really, really frustrating. Kind of in summary of the game for me is another game where Shrewsbury had had more XG. And in this game, we had a lot. Obviously, we got the penalty, which is nearly three quarters, just over three quarters of an XG. But we had like 2.5, something like that from Scout, where Bolton was less than one. Um, so and yeah, I, I, it felt frustrating. But the, the funny thing is, obviously, you said at the start of the podcast, James, you know, you're going to be a little bit more positive. And obviously, the frustration that town fans have is that we see this fairly regularly. Not every game that we've kind of had more XG, but there's been quite a few X game, games where we do have more XG, which almost makes it even more frustrating. Also, we've had a really bad start to the season. We're clearly a team in transition. Um, but looking at what you saw from Shrewsbury, do you think we should be worried about relegation? Kind of. But no, uh, let me explain that. Um, so, like, I obviously looked at the data before the game. I didn't go back and watch any of your games because I was lazy, but I did spend about an hour looking through the data. Um, and this, like, Shrewsbury very consistently create about 10 shots per game. Um, there's actually only been, now, well, yesterday was the third game where you've had more than 11 shots per game. Um and you've lost all three. 
and every game where you've had a significant XG advantage, you've lost, um, which is which is really really unlucky in one respect. I wouldn't suggest to stop doing that, but but that could be one conclusion. And yeah, we touched on the huge XG underperformance, but before yesterday's game, um, you're averaging one point two six expected goals for, and only scoring zero point seven goals per game. That's going to have spread even more. Um, it's not going to sustain over the period of time, but I would expect you to underperform your XG to always look better on an XG table for some of the reasons we discussed beforehand. Um, and then to, to, to compound it, your your goals against, you're conceding 1.4 goals per game. Again, that will have gone up um, from 1.23 got expected goals against. So again, that's going to have spread. And I know I tried to go beyond that and look for reasons why. And it was very hard to find any reasons why. Like Morosi, your your keeper, is actually overperforming his expected goals conceded. So he's saving more shots than we would expect him to save on the data. Um so I think basically you're just you're just going for a run of a run of games whereby the opposition are just scoring really good goals and and probably at unsustainable level. The one thing that did show yesterday was that the, they were slightly compounded. So by not getting pressure on the shots, you made the shots much easier. So there is perhaps a little reason in there if that's been happening in a lot of games, like you said it was. Um, but yeah, basically, I think based on the performance I saw where I thought oh, the game was boring, it wasn't a good performance from an excitement point of view, but it was an organised performance whereby Shrewsbury were for large periods, probably the team that looked more likely to, or not, not look more likely to win it, would have won it if that, more often if that game was played 10 times rather than just the one time due to the fact that they contained Bolton well and created the better chances, missed a penalty um, as one example, the clearance of the line, as well as a couple of half chances, whereas Bolton had very few chances and took the ones they had. The only reason I think you could go down is because although you're playing quite well and not getting points, is that going to lead to a loss of confidence and then a loss and then a drop in performance levels that pulls you down into a relegation side? But from what I saw yesterday and from the data, I think you're a lower mid-table, 19th to 16th quality side. One of the things that Shrewsbury Town fans have been saying, we're poor in both boxes, and it's something even Cottrell's alluded to as well. And it's and it is really frustrating, and it's it kind of adds to the the growing frustration among the fan base that we, again, three years three seasons in a row, we're in a relegation fight again, um, and it gets hard as a podcast as well to talk about chances. Every game we talk about chances, but we just never never take them. Um, and if we carry on, um, you know, giving away soft goals, and as we have been, and not scoring those chances we get, we're going to get a relegation zone. And also the, the worry we have as well is obviously if we lose, um, we've only got two really recognised central fielders in Davis and Vela. Um, quicker we can get Vela back, the better. Um, he's got a knee injury. Hopefully we won't be out for too long. Um, but of course, obviously as well, James, we've obviously got the transfer window. But the ability to sign a good striker in the January transfer window is going to be really tough. And if we did sign another striker, that would technically take us up to eight with Worley. Um, so for me, actually, interestingly, I would like us to see Bloxham. And also, I was um, chatting to a guy who's very familiar on this podcast, a guy called um, Andy. Um, and he he's a former professional footballer. He's been on this podcast uh, many a time. 
and he was talking about in watching the plays in the warm-up. His little son is obsessed with football and they were watching Caton and Bloxham and they're both saying how good they are at finishing. So maybe, maybe our saviours are going to be actually from our youth team and that would be quite exciting to see both Caton and Bloxham get a chance. Yeah, I think in terms of being poor in both boxes, I think the reason Shrewsbury are poor in the attacking box is because they don't have a striker that's particularly good in the box. Um and they're not really got a player who's particularly good at getting the ball into the box other than, you know, Lee, he's quite a good crosser Lee of the ball. And Bennett, yeah, both yeah. good crossers of the ball. But but you can't you can't rely on just crossing because one, chances from crosses are harder to score. We you we know that instinctively because heading the ball is much harder than striking a striking a ball and the data tells us that as well. And two, League One teams tend to be pretty good at defending crosses. And that's in what we've seen. We saw it against Burton. We saw it against um, against and Wickham as well. You just basically put a few big lads in the, in the centre of defence, um, and you and you clear corners. Um, and Shrewsbury Town are an evolving side, and crossing has been we're one of the highest crossers in the division, um, and that's going to compound our, our issues if we just keep going for the same way. Teams know exactly what we're going to do. Maybe play three at the back against us for those for those reasons. Stop us scoring goals, and yeah, and try and make try and um, counter us and, and score those goals um, at the other end. So it's I think it's going to be it's going to be a, a tough watch for Shrewsbury Town fans as we get get closer to January. Um, there's obviously a lot of games between now and then, and fingers crossed we're not um, kind of cut adrift. Um, but there's a lot of work for Codger to do. But I guess the positive, James, as well is that this is a new side and there is only we're seeing evidence of Cottrell coaching the team. So hopefully he can continue to coach in the team and improve what we've got, um, which does give me some hope. Am I, am, I, am I being foolish or do you think actually you saw some quite clear coaching um, in the team on Saturday? Yeah, no, I didn't think you looked a bad team at all. I thought some of the, when you got it down and played it, or, and, and by got it down and played it, I mean maybe put together like three or four passes to to move it into certain areas of the pitch, wide areas. The movement was good. I thought like when you um, got the ball into the centre-backs rather than Morosi going long and then it was Pierre or Ebanks Lando or Pennington hitting the balls, I thought the attacking movement with the runners from deep and also, you know, one striker pulling a centre-back and the other striker attacking that space in between defenders, I thought that was good. Um, one area I would highlight, which is in the data, is Shrewsbury Town are actually one of the most effective pressing teams. And when you were pressing in that first 20 minutes, as we said, it was really effective. And Shrewsbury have the third highest high turnovers in the league. Um, now, obviously, we know instinctively if you win the ball in the opposition's half then or in the final third, then your chances of scoring are much higher. And you're winning balls back in dangerous areas. But at the moment, what you're not doing is is scoring goals. You've not scored from any of those high turnovers yet. So if I was Cottrell, one of the areas I would be looking at is that moment after we win the ball high up the pitch, how can we then convert that into good chances? Because if you are pressing high, you're leaving spaces. Well, Shrewsbury tend to leave that space in front of the defence. And that was apparent to see. So if you're pressing high and, and not getting chances from it, you're just making yourself less stable at the back. So... That would be perhaps one area I'd start with. And that's an interesting point because that's one thing Cottrell doesn't want to do. One of the things we were really successful um, was playing in a low, in a basically trying to press early on, trying to get that kind of that counter press. If that didn't that didn't work, get back into a low bot really quickly. He doesn't want he doesn't want us to be a, a counter attack inside. However, with the players at his disposal, I'm not sure we can do much else. 
I mean, you looked very much like a counter-attack inside. Yeah, I know. Um. I mean, that's what I think we've evolved into. And I think, I think, I think Bolton, obviously, you know, Bolton are, are, are known as an Everett, for example, in particular, is known for a possession side. So I think we did play a little bit more defensively in a counter-attack on Saturday. But yeah, he, he tried to talk about we were going to evolve the play. Um, I think it was also a bit of a, an excuse for why we were kind of, you know, conceding goals and, and, and losing the ball in, in possession. But yeah, we definitely were a counter-attack inside on Saturday. No, it was, it was also interesting hearing that you said about the the pressing and then dropping back in the shape because you did see, and, and that was one of the things I put, at no point do I recall Shrewsbury ever being in a mid-block. They were either pressing or they were dropping completely back. It's just, I guess, the danger with that at times was when you didn't get pressure on the ball, it meant the ball got moved forwards before... It, the defence was set so I think there needs to be some pressure on the ball yeah and, and that's and, where missing Vela and Norburn is key and that's what they did so well um, last season and that's what we're missing a bit especially with Wally in that role it's, you know we as you said he looked absolutely knackered after 60 minutes he's one of our best attacking threats and we're using a lot of his energy um, in, in defensive play yeah absolutely and then when the ball does so when the ball does get into Shrewsbury's final third one mistake is then becomes really important because Shrewsbury were camped on their box for more than half the game, would you say? I don't have the numbers, but it felt like that. And and therefore you have to defend perfectly. And that was perhaps something that I thought Pierre did in terms of Pierre was very good at stepping out and then winning the ball on the edge of the box. Um, but perhaps something that the other centre-backs needed to be a little bit more aggressive when the ball was there to be won. So at times you were winning back possession and not just defending for prolonged periods of time. Pierre was good and that leads us nicely on to um, our top three. So top three players, which we always do every game, James. So we always talk about who our top three players are and we use this to kind of total up who's our player of the season is. Um, so you're obviously going to contribute to that this season. And who is your top three players? Yeah, I well, I gave it away a bit there. I thought Pierre <laughs> was... I, in my mind, by far Shrewsbury's best player in terms of aggressive defensively. He was organising the defence. He he was stepping out and carrying the ball and, and looked like the one player who was trying to turn the, the game at times. Um, number two, probably controversially, I went for Udo um, because I thought he did a lot of hard work at, up front without much support. But in terms of what would have been expected of him, I didn't think he could do too much more. And I did struggle a bit picking the third player, um, but I went for Leahy partially for his free kick, but also I thought he made some good runs from deep and I thought he put some some decent passes in behind the defence and crosses into the box. So I thought he probably had the third biggest impact on the game from a Shrewsbury perspective. Yeah, I think maybe I'm a little bit um, not blinded, almost the opposite of blinded. I see Pierre do that a lot. Um, maybe you probably need to give him more credit for what how he defends. Uh, my top three went for Leahy, Nurse, who I thought had a pretty good game, and Worley. Um, I thought Worley put a good effort in. Um, and for me, that just almost highlights. Um, I thought, I don't know what you saw, thought of a couple of these players. So we've got Nurse, who was a new signing. We have, obviously, we've got Bowman as a new signing. Morosi is a good signing. Um, you know, Bennett's not too bad at this level. Maybe his legs have gone a little bit. Um, but, you know, if you just take into account, like, you know, Morosi and Nurse, we have to sign a couple of decent players there, I thought. Um, yeah, Morosi, I thought, had a pretty good game. Um, apart from the that kick. One kick. Which, one yeah. Kick. I mean, there was an instance in the first half where I think he probably saved a goal by being really sharp off his line to make a clearance. 
Um, shot stopping looked pretty good. The data backs it up. I'll be honest, I didn't really notice Nurse, but I think I know before the pod, um, you asked me to like focus on like the the, the attacking play and the, the systems yeah. and the tactics. I wasn't really watching individual players as closely, but I did get the impression he probably had a pretty good game because I don't really remember too many attacks coming down his side. No. Um, which indicates that he probably did a pretty good containing job on on Bolton on on that side, especially as in the second half it was Isgrove and oh, I can't remember who was playing right wing for Bolton. Um but there was there was a couple of attacking attacking players down that side. Yeah, he's he's good nurse. He's a good fa- he's a good he's got a good bit of pace as well, which really helps. It's just really frustrating that um you've got three left backs, three, three wing backs and such a small squad. Um, so that's the frustration um, for Shrewsbury Town. So we're gonna. I think we we'll probably need to call this one a close. Um, so really, really appreciate you coming on the podcast, James. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Ollie. Uh, I enjoyed being on. Hopefully, I didn't waffle on too much, and and the people listening enjoyed it. And cool, brilliant. Thanks for coming on the podcast, James, and thanks, guys, for listening. Oh!